together. Father, as we consider these plagues upon Egypt, we ask for your wisdom, we ask for your knowledge and understanding to see, Lord, how this speaks to our hearts this morning. So would we have hearts of flesh and not of stone to hear your word. Amen. Amen. So we're going to think about the, the plagues of Egypt. Now, Bath will be very glad I didn't get him to read the four chapters that there are about the plagues of Egypt. But we're going to start with a wee quiz. Oh, I love a quiz. The teacher and me is coming out okay. Who knows what the plagues of Egypt were? How many were there? Ten. Anybody able to tell me any of the, the plagues of Egypt? Frogs? Yeah, love a frog. Anyone else? Locusts? Darkness? <coughs> yep, the livestock died. Boils, we love that one. Boils. <laughs> Big old boils. Boils, anything else? The firstborn die, yep. Anyone else? Thunder and lightning, very, very frightening. Okay, so there's thunder and lightning flies, water turned to blood. There's all these really uh, explicit, really in-your-face images, isn't there? There's, so we listen to, to Basil Reid, we think about the, the water turning to blood and how it stank. You know, it stunk, you know, and they were, had to scrabble in around the banks of the, the Nile to find water because there was none. So these plagues must have been horrendous. horrendous for the Egyptians, horrendous for ordinary Egyptians who probably had no idea why this was happening. And it was horrendous for the Israelites, I'm sure, to watch this happening. It must have been an assault on the eyes to see these things come upon the, the, the land of Egypt. What's the point of the plagues? Why did the Lord move in such a way? Firstly, it's for freedom's sake. It's for freedom's sake. Over and over and over again, Moses says through Aaron, from God to Pharaoh, the words, let my people go. Let my people go that they may serve me, that they may be free. And Moses must have been tired of this, saying this over and over and over again. And perhaps he got more and more discouraged every time Pharaoh said, no, no, my heart will not let you go. His heart was hardened. Uh, Pharaoh refused to let the people go. Refusal after refusal after refusal. But Moses persists in following the will of the Lord, doesn't he? He and Aaron go back again and again and again to Pharaoh. And they keep on delivering the message from the Lord. And they, they learn that their faithful persistence finally pays off. They're knocking on that door, that, that going again and again and again to Pharaoh pays off. Because why are they doing this? Why are they faithfully following Why are they keeping on going? It's because God wants his people to be free. God wants his people to be liberated. He wants them to be free from bondage, free from uh, the life that they have been living there in Egypt. Now, Exodus 
12 uh, tells us that the Israelites have been in Egypt for over 430 years. Now, I can't be 100% sure how many of those years they were actually captive, because you remember in the beginning they were part of the life and and the society and the government of Egypt. But there came a time where they became the sort of the subservient group of people and were enslaved. We can't be sure how long that was for. But now has come for the time. Now is the time for the people to be released. After generations of slavery, here they are being released. God had remembered his promise to them to release them, to bring them to the land which he had promised. They're leaving their, their state of bondage and of, uh, of enslavement and moving into a completely different stage of the journey. And we know that, of course, they, when they leave Egypt, they, they wander in the desert, and that's a whole other story. But here is this point in their history where they move from this enslaved state to a state of freedom, freedom from oppression from the Egyptians. And they walk out of Egypt and they walk out of slavery and their bondage to Pharaoh. And that picture of the, the captives being set free, we sang a line or two in, in our, our songs this morning about freedom for the captives. That picture of the captive Hebrews, a captive nation of Israel leaving Egypt might remind us of something else. God wanted to see them walk out of slavery, out of their bondage, in the same way God wants to see us walking out of our bondage, our bondage to sin, our bondage to the things of this world. In the Greek, the the word is doulos, okay? So doulos is the, the Greek word for slave, and it means bond servant, Basically, you're, you're bound to your master. You have no choice but to serve them. And to be a slave to sin is somewhat about... Being a slave to sin is when someone is unable to keep from doing those unrighteous things. It's like we're bound to it. We can't help but do it. And Paul, in his letter to the Romans, says this, and he understands our state, and he understands our humanity so well. He says, for I do not understand my own actions. I don't know why I do what I do, because I do the thing that I don't want to do, and the thing that I do, and this is the thing that I hate, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. We're led into it, and our human nature is to wander into things that feel good, feel good, but they aren't necessarily for are good. Things like that we think are, are, are going to make us happy, but we end up serving masters other than Jesus. We serve pride and hate and laziness and selfishness and greed or indulgence. And the deeper we find ourselves in this, the deeper we find that it actually robs us of life. It doesn't feed our souls, there's always going to be something that's lacking. So rather than being enslaved to our sin and our deadness, to our lack, God wants to set us free, free to live in all righteousness. It's like packing up and leaving the city of sin and moving to the city of righteousness. 
out of the things that are dark, things that are painful to us, and into a place where there is flourishing. That's for our good. That's for our prospering. A place where we can live in the light of Christ. And that comes under the grace of Jesus. It's fully from his grace, from his righteousness. So through Moses, God is delivering the Hebrews from their bondage to Egypt and out into the promised land. And in the same way, Christ, in turn to Jesus, he leads us out of our bondage to sin into a place where there is true and lasting freedom. Because Christ sent, God sent Christ into the world to die for us. And his hand moves powerfully. In our passage earlier on, it says that God's hand moves, his powerful hand moves mightily. God's powerful hand moves mightily in Egypt. It moves mightily in our lives to bring us out of bondage and into freedom. So it's for freedom's sake and it's for glory's sake. It's for God's sake. What is this the story of? You know, the Bible, what is it the story of? Is it the story of Moses? Is it the story of Aaron? Is it a story of different individuals? It's the story of God, isn't it? It's the story of the Lord at work in our world throughout all generations. It's the story of God, and we are all part of it. It's for his name and for his glory, because he is the one that does great things. The one that says, I am, I am God, mighty and strong to save. And God is able to do all things, and he's able to do all things through our weakness. And I think if we flip on maybe a couple of uh, slides, we might see this uh, from the Apostle Paul. It says, God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is made perfect in weakness. We've heard a lot about that over the past couple of weeks, haven't we, in our different services. My power, God's power is made perfect in our weakness. So Paul says this, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities for the sake of Christ. For wherever I am weak, whenever I am weak, then I am strong. Here in this part of Corinthians, Paul recognizes his weakness. He recognizes his lacking. But he also recognizes that in that, God's power is displayed. Because when he can work and move and do things, even when he's weak, that's the Lord at work within him. That's the strength of the Lord. And he says, do you know what? I'm going to be happy in my weaknesses. I'm going to be happy in those places where I find life hard. I'm going to be happy in the things that really challenge me. Because he knows that in his inability, God's ability is displayed. In his personal inability, and in our inability, God is able to do amazing things. God is able. And God says to each one of us that his power 
is made perfect in us, in our weakness, in our frail, fragile human nature. In us, God's ability is displayed. So Pharaoh has no idea at this point who he's up against. He's no idea what's about to come down upon him because he refuses to see. His heart is hard. He refuses to obey the voice of the Lord and let Israel go. Earlier in Exodus chapter 5, Pharaoh had said, Who is the Lord? Who is this person that you speak of? Who is this God that you speak of? Who is he that I should obey him and listen to his voice? I don't know him, and moreover, I will not let my people go. Who is the Lord, and why should I listen to him? And then why should I listen to you, Moses? Why should I listen to Aaron? Why should I listen to anybody else? But God made Moses to speak through Aaron. And there must have been something about their presence because Moses do, or Pharaoh does hear. He does listen. He does know what the Lord is saying to him. But his heart is hardened. He refuses to listen. He refuses to see. Even when he starts to see the incredible work of the Lord, he still refuses to believe. He sees the river Nile turned to blood. He sees all these different um, uh, plagues come upon Egypt and he still refuses to believe. He still refuses to hear the voice of the Lord and to follow and to listen. And we hear that really strange uh, part of Exodus chapter 7 where Aaron throws his, his uh, staff down on the ground and becomes like a snake. <coughs> The Egyptians do this, or the Egyptian magicians, Egyptian magicians do the same. They throw theirs down. They throw theirs down, and it becomes snakes too. But Aaron's snake swallows up all of their snakes. Just really strange, strange um, picture. And if you actually Google this part of Exodus 7, there's so many strange um, carvings that have been uh, made in stone and pictures and frescoes that have been uh, made of this this image of the one snake swallowing the other. It's an incredible thing to witness. The magicians do the same thing. So Pharaoh's looking at them thinking, well, my magicians can do this too. This, this Lord that you're talking about, he's not able. How are these magicians able to do this? They're doing it by their counterfeit illusions by their uh, secret arts as we read in this passage because we know that the devil can trick the devil will use false signs and false wonders to deceive us to deceive our very eyes and even able to do these strange things but God is more than able Here he is swallowing them whole. God still shows that he is superior superior, and the snake swallows them up. It's not pleasant to think of, but it serves to prove the point that Pharaoh still refuses to believe. His heart is still hard. Why should I listen? Why should I obey? Why should I do anything you say? 
They say that pride comes before a fall, doesn't it? When one is bold enough to ask such a question, why should I listen to the Lord? It's very often that they're going to get an answer and it's not going to be the answer they expect. So here come these plagues upon Egypt in answer to Pharaoh's unyielding heart. And we think about the word unyielding, it means not giving way to pressure, hard, inflexible, incapable of being changed, characterized by a lack of softness or flexibility. Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and I think if we flip on um, a, a couple of slides, his heart was hardened. And over and over and over again in these four chapters that tell us about the the plagues upon Egypt, Pharaoh's heart is hardened six times. Six times it says Pharaoh's heart was hard or Pharaoh hardened his own heart. God hardened the heart of Pharaoh over and over and over again. His heart became harder and harder and harder. But if we look at it the other way, that's six opportunities that Pharaoh had. Six opportunities to turn to the Lord. Six opportunities to obey and to listen and to hear. Six chances to hear the voices of the Lord. But he's stubborn. He's stubbornly disobedient and he rebels against the Lord. God had called Pharaoh to humble himself and acknowledge that he was the great I am. He invited him to know him as the great I am. And he invited him to have a part in this great big story of the Lord at work in our world. But Pharaoh refused. Even after all the opportunities the Lord gave him, ultimately his heart is hard and he rejects God. But the Lord in his grace still offers opportunities for hard hearts to be softened. The plague serves a reminder that the Lord wants to soften hard hearts. Ezekiel 36 says this, and I think I have it on, and I love this image. If we can say it of uh, a great big hammer, hammer in a way like cement around the heart. It says this, I will give you a new heart, a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a new heart. I will put my spirit within you. God wants to see his children being soft-hearted. Now, not ignorant or mindless or unprepared for the world, but soft-hearted, ready to meet the world in all that it does. Now, because Jesus knew that we were going out into the world and a world that was tough, when he sent out the disciples, he, he says in Matthew chapter 10, Behold, I'm sending you out as sheep into the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. He wants us to be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Innocent, I can't say it. Innocent as doves with soft hearts soft-hearted, walking with him closely, loving our neighbours as ourselves, sharing God's heart of love for other people and seeing the world through his eyes. I talked to 
last uh, Sunday night or the Sunday night before about you know when you go to the optician and they put the big uh, big white round thing and then they flip the flip the uh, the lens and they say can you see that now can you see that now can you see that now and then hopefully you're able to read out all of the letters um, God says you know flip the lens flip the lens flip the lens can you see better now can you see better now? God wants to help us see through his eyes of love, soft-heartedly, not as hard and as jaded people that look at the world in a pessimistic way because we're called to be people of hope, aren't we? We're called to be people of joy, not mindless or without kind of a real true understanding of the world that it is, but being able to look at it through God's eyes. And looking at it through eyes of love and with joyful hopefulness for the work of God in the world. Pharaoh's heart was hard out of pride and self-importance and blindness to the truth. And sometimes it's hard, uh, where our hearts might be hard because things have been hard, because we've been hurt, because we've been ill, because we've had to deal with hard things in our lives. But let's not harden ourselves to the things of the Lord. And maybe today we need to ask the Lord, you know, Lord, show me where my heart is hardened today. Because there are places in our hearts, in all of our hearts, that are hard because of hurts or because of things we, we hold on to. That's true for all of us. It's more we need to say, Lord, Show me where my heart is hardened. Lord, chip away that stone, Lord, that my heart of flesh would be revealed. In the light of these nine plagues of Egypt, Simon's going to talk on, you know, number 10 next week. Not four chapters. Thanks. Thanks. Uh, So these nine plagues, we're looking at them in this light. Let's not consider ourselves too highly like Pharaoh did, to the detriment of our relationship with God. Let's not think too highly of ourselves, but have a higher view of God the Father. Let's not harden our hearts because of our own pride, of our own hurts. Let's allow the Lord to chip that away. Let's not be unyielding as Pharaoh was in the face of the work of the God. Let's not miss the marvelous, incredible things that are before our eyes because we're blind to it. We've blinded ourselves to it. Let's look and see him at work in the lives of others, in the work of others, and in our own every day. And when it looks unfamiliar, let's not be unwilling to test it and see if it's the work of the Lord. Let's recognize the work of the Lord in the world for freedom's sake, for our sake, for the sake of others. And let's share in that. Let's enter into that work with Jesus by the power of the Spirit and recognize that it's all for his name's sake, for his kingdom. It's not about us all of the time. It's us working through his strength, his strength made perfect in our weakness. Let's not harden our hearts, but yield to the work of the Lord and say, yes, Lord, because we can do all things in 
and through him, through the Son at work in us and by his Spirit. Let's pray together. Father, we pray, come to our hearts this morning. Where we are hard, Lord, soften us. Where we are hurt, bring healing. Where we are disobedient, we're all disobedient at times, Lord. Draw us to obedience. Lord, would we yield to your work in our lives and in our world and in our community. Lord, would we know what it is to be free. Free indeed. We pray these things in your son's name and by your spirit.